back again and your office is a little bit different. Yeah, I got tired of how I had it before, which was about a year. And whenever you open the door to my office, you see my desk jutting out from the wall, which I don't know. I guess I was just tired on moving day whenever I moved in and it just never, I never really thought about it, but I moved to the other side and yeah. So for those more things, yeah. So for those of you that can't see it, the way Nick's office is laid out on one wall, there's a door that's kind of lined up with it. And on the other wall, there's no door. So Nick moved his desk to the wall with no door and it really opened up our studio and made it much nicer, less cramped, less like a closet. Um, but yeah, and I I got a few more. I got some plants, which I think are nice for an office. Uh, puts a little bit more color in here, and I got a stand for my iMac, which is really nice. It kind of it matches the aluminum polish that the or finish that the my my iMac has, so it kind of blends. Yeah, I like having the plants in in an office because. Not only are they aesthetically great, but also any minute amount of fresh oxygen that can be created in your workspace, I think, has to be a positive thing. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're going to be in there for a long time. And what else did I get? I got I got some backlighting for my, for my iMac as well. Yeah. Have you ever had any backlighting in your office or even behind your TV or even for a keyboard? No, I haven't. What I would really like to do is get... Um, some of the hue lights, mm-hmm. the the color changing ones, they have they have some strip LED lights, and I think that would be really cool to like put behind a couch. Yeah, and maybe well, really go all the way around the room, and then you know if you're watching a movie, I think you can set it up to where if it knows what it's playing, it will color match the lights. It will respond to the the sounds. Yeah. yeah, I saw those at Bed Bath and Beyond the other day. Yeah, I think back Pretty in cool. the day there was a. There was a TV that had lighting around the edges. Yeah. And I don't know if that ever took off, but I think having that built into the TV is not really necessary when you can have the lights. And that way, when you get a new TV, your lighting's not tied to your TV. Yeah. Yeah. Like the ones I got, you just, it's just USB and you can just stick it on the um, the surface. And uh, I had it, I had it sticked in a certain way to the back of my iMac and then I, I, Took it off and it was fine. I was still able to stick it back. Is it a single LED or is it like a strip? Or oh, it's it's a strip that you can cut. I actually got a spool of it to. I have it the same thing under. Whoa! So you can cut it to different sizes. Yeah, and it's like twenty bucks, and it came with this remote. This um. Ah, nice. I also got so I got a, another LED strip a while back, um, for my record player. Oh, very nice. And it comes with an infrared sensor. That you plug it into and then it has this remote that you can change to all these colors. Um, and the, my, the platter under my, uh, record player is acrylic so you can see through it. Yeah. I don't have any led lights like that, but, uh, target had a sale on some light bulbs. Yeah. Um, they're called link and they use a link hub, uh, which is actually when you're using it on your phone, it's in an app called wink and wink. You can control. It's kind of a, it's almost like the home application and that you can control several different things as long as they're compatible with it. Right. So if you did have hue lights, you could uh, control those from there. There are some alarm systems like I think Canary mm-hmm. that you can also control from it. And it's really great. So 
sometimes we have schedules set up to where, like, if the, when the sun goes down, the porch light comes on. And it's obviously great when you're out of town because you can kind of turn a light on in the bedroom or right. in the living room or from wherever you're at. And it's a, it's a good investment. I want more smart home stuff. Yeah. Especially if the Apple HomePod is going to be legitimate or not. So you got your keyboard and you've been using it. Yeah, I finally got it in. It took a while, but I just got the standard shipping. So it was shipping was a bit more than I'm used to because I buy everything on Amazon. Mm-hmm. But it was on, um, it was a WSAD V2 keyboard. So do you say WSD or is it WASD? I say WSWASD. That's how, that's, I don't know. That's the one. It looks like an. Yeah. I wasn't sure. For some reason I've been saying it like it's a word, but (laughs) I don't know. I have no idea. Actually, that's a good question. I'm sure it's on on their FAQ or something on their website. Yeah. So tell us about the color scheme that you went with for your keyboard. So it's a, it's in keyless, so it doesn't have the number pad, but it has the arrows. It has the media keys and has function keys and escape key at the top left. And I went with red for the modifiers, uh, gray for the uh, QWERTY part of the keyboard, and then numbers and symbols are in black. And I just kind of wanted to compartmentalize the keyboard that way. It's just easier if you're looking at it. You can see exactly what you need to do because all the modifiers being red, that kind of makes sense to me. I don't know. Yeah, it's so personal. I mean, you can really do whatever colors you want. And that's the great thing about this kind of... I don't know if it's a renaissance of people really caring about uh, mechanical keyboards or, you know what, that could have been going on for forever. I think yeah, the way people interact with their computer is super personal. And I know that, you know, if you, if you buy an Apple computer or you buy one of the new Surface computers, their keyboards are so opinionated. And that opinion is oftentimes not what the buyer feels right oh uh you showed me this show um halt and catch fire yeah yeah we should we should discuss at least the first season at some point in this show yeah that that show for those of you that don't know it's about a computer company in texas in the 80s and the music is super good mm-hmm. and the acting is really acting good top notch yeah and it, it really captures that Early Microsoft, early Apple vibe. I think, I think it may be a reference at least to Dell because you know Dell is in Texas, right? So I think, kind of with the location of of where it was filmed and the time period, I think there are some similarities with with Michael Dell starting in his in his garage or mm-hmm. dorm room or whatever it was, and then growing into you know, a multi-billion yeah. dollar company. That'd be interesting to look, in that, uh, look into that. See all the comparisons between other companies because it's a fake company, but it has real companies in the show that like IBM and Apple um, and some others. That's an interesting show. list we have apple music playlists so apple music updated and now they have chill playlists have you been checking those out at all uh yeah they've been actually pretty good out of the three playlists that is curated for me by apple 
It's probably the best one, I think. Um, yeah, you like it better than the My New Music one? The My New Music one was is good. It, it's gotten a lot better. It's actually, in the past few months or so, it's it's been pretty solid for me. At first, it was playing a lot of stuff that I had no Well, interest. it's probably learning from your hearts. Yeah, you know? yeah. That made me want to listen or use Apple Music more and more. Or just listen to music more in general, just so I'd get better recommendations, because I love getting good recommendations. Yeah, man, the biggest advantage of these streaming services is not only, well, I, I guess the biggest advantage is that you have access to such a huge catalog, and you don't have to pay for it all. And you can, right. you know, being subscribed to music is such a, if if you would have told us 15 years ago yeah. that that was going to be a thing, and we weren't going to buy music anymore. I think we would have been super happy to hear Even that. Even five years ago. Yeah. But the fact that that these services learn from you over time and, and they get better. So when you're spending money paying for these services, it's, it's almost like you're investing in a curator at the same time. Right. And I think that I think that streaming services in general, obviously the future is bright, but music services – because they surface new music to you that you wouldn't hear and they learn from you over time. It's just, there's no question that that's better than an iTunes library. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like you have, yeah. Imagining back whenever you used to buy songs on iTunes, you'd have to buy a song or an album to listen to it or, you know, download it legally. But otherwise in iTunes itself, um, just imagining that you have access to it, every single one of those songs that you didn't want to spend the money on and and the ones that you did. Yeah. Most of my music fell off a truck and made its way into my library. And the reason that is, is because I'm a completionist with an album. So I may only like one song on an album, but I'm not just going to spend the 99 cents on that track. Right. Like I have to have the whole album, but then I often don't want to pay for the whole album. So right. my library is a hodgepodge of uh, questionably sourced, of questionable quality music. And then when Apple Music came out, uh, because it synchronizes your libraries in a way, I think it, I think it, it's almost like iTunes Match. But if you delete it and re-download it, you get the higher quality. And I really don't care if I lose all the music that's that I have acquired right. over the years because it's all it's most of it would be on yeah i don't have a lot of obscure live performances or bands that nobody knows about i my music collection was never that deep i think at the at the top end i maybe had ten thousand tracks right and i've gotten to the point now to where i don't really listen to music that i used to listen to a lot before apple music and spotify you'd have a limited amount of music, right? Yeah. And you can go back and listen to stuff that you got maybe a year ago, and it would be kind of different than what you're listening to now. But with streaming services, I find myself wanting to listen to new music more, which is not something I really prioritized um, before. Yeah, I, I think it even goes a step further for me. I don't even listen to the same song over that often because there's such a huge diversity of music and i'm like always having to try something new like i i always want to try something new right so apple music has made music kind of disposable in a way and it's kind of sad for the artists i think mm -hmm. because 
there's so when you have access to that much, it's just like, am I gonna go back to this right. song that I've already heard, or am I gonna get my money's worth and hear something new? Yeah, and I think that that gives some merit to physical media in a way, whether it be CDs or or vinyl or whatever. I mean, people are still making tape. I mean, I I don't think I could. I don't even think I have a tape player in my. Possession. Yeah, yeah, I totally don't. Yeah. So speaking about Apple Music, a bunch of Apple employees have been testing the HomePod out in the wild. And last week, Apple kind of had a, a a mistake. And basically what happened is there was a firmware update for the HomePod. And Apple meant to publish that internally as like a developer build. But what happened was they published it to the developer channel and people pulled it down off the internet and took it apart. Did you see any of this news? Yeah. I mean, this is probably, this is probably one of the biggest leaks, at least in a long time. I definitely think so. But I don't know how upset really they're going to be. I mean, the iPhone comes out, what, in a month or so? Yeah. Yeah. So, so for those of you that don't know, one of one part of the firmware had some references to the iPhone and it talked a lot about the new face recognition features. So basically it, it has in there like lines that reference um, unlocking with a face and also it's relative position on a table. So like basically if your phone's laying flat on a table, it will be able to still unlock even if you're not looking directly at it. But I think the the biggest leak was there was a glyph that's the shape of the new iPhone. And this is the one from all the leaks, the one with the little, for lack of a better word, like a an eyebrow at the top of the screen or a chin that's cut out for sensors. Mm-hmm. And so is it a big deal? I don't know. It just kind of confirms the leaks that were already out yeah. there. And I, I think over the past few, few years, what's been almost as big as the actual announcement the day when they go on stage they bring it out and they have all these fancy slides. I think what has also become a big thing are the leaks themselves. Yeah, I think it's a huge business. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think the irony about this leak is Apple has been talking about cracking down on their secrecy. Recently, some information leaked that they've been having internal classes that are like trying to tell people, like, look, you're disrespecting your coworkers' work if you're leaking information to the press. And I feel like they've cracked down on the supply chain a lot more. I mean, as they're ramping up production, when you're building a hundred million of something, yeah, that's really hard to hide. But this leaked from Apple directly, and they just put it on the internet. Yeah, and I feel bad for whoever yeah, did that. He's gone. Yeah, he's either gone or he had a very bad day. But. This brings me back to this. How, how upset do you think Apple is about this? You know, they've, I feel like they've even probably intentionally leaked stuff in the past. I don't know about this. I don't think this is intentional, but I don't know. I feel like it just builds a, a, the hype a little bit. I'm sure they're upset. I'm sure they're upset because they don't want people to know what the sounds are for the HomePod and the, and the nuances. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it just confirmed a lot of the speculation. I don't think it will affect their bottom line in any, in right. any way. Yeah, and I'm just 
looking through here and it it looks like there's some metadata in the camera. Oh yeah, it's, it, I read it's going to be be able to do 4K and 60 frames. Yeah, yeah, right is... now it's 30 frames. And and also it seems like the the camera will get maybe some scene settings. So like it you know on a point and shoot camera you can put it like in firework mode or sport mode. Mm-hmm. Uh I think there's going to be some of those settings. Right. Maybe maybe not user accessible, but maybe the software will intelligently detect that stuff. I don't know. Apple's so weird about adding settings to the camera app. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the last big one was iOS 9, I think, when they added, they changed the interface. Was that right? Um, iOS 7. Was that the last time they, they updated the camera UI? Um, I'm sure there's been subtle tweaks throughout the last few versions. Um, I know in iOS 9, they added portrait mode on That's the right. on the 7 plus. Yeah, you have the 7 plus. Do you still like that? Do you use that? Do you find that you actually use that more than Oh, uh, you mean the portrait mode? Right. You know, I I don't use it enough. I do have live photos turned on all the time because I'm just kind of fascinated with live photos. Um they're updating that in iOS 11, right? Yeah, yeah. So in iOS 11, you can choose your your primary frame. So like when you take a live photo in iOS 9 it it essentially records a video and then picks one still image out of it to be like the cover mm-hmm. shot but now you can choose the cover shot you can more easily turn the live photos into into gifs and you can also kind of do some like long exposure stuff so like if you're at a waterfall you can like change it to like a long exposure mode and it looks like just a blur which is really cool that you can just do that yeah. on the fly that's a lot of computational photography in action yeah that's going to be really interesting to put into practice for sure yeah and then the other thing that came out is that apple is thinking about making an apple watch with lte and i think there's a lot of advantages there yeah um as the apple watch stands it's just kind of you know, it always has to have its buddy device. So it's always got to be near the iPhone. Mm-hmm. And it, it does have some wireless capability. Like there have been days when I leave my phone at home. But because my watch, because my phone and all my other things know the Wi-Fi password, when I get to work, it's it connects to the Wi-Fi without the phone. Right. Which is really cool. So I'm still able to get text messages and things of that nature and other notifications. But the more independent I, I think it becomes, I think it will increase the market. Maybe you think with the addition of the AirPods, they they've really seen an opportunity to make them even more mobile with the Apple watch. Yeah, totally. I think Apple is trying to play the game. Like, Hey, what if smartphones go away? What if we use bigger devices? I think Apple would be not happy if the iPhone went away, but I don't think they would be disappointed if a lot of their users were using AirPods and an Apple Watch for their day-to-day communication and dictation of messages and then using an iPad. Yeah. And with LTE, it gives the Apple Watch the ability to access the cloud wherever. And And that gives you more storage. That gives you more functionality. Yeah, it would probably help you track workouts more accurately as well. Mm-hmm. If you had 
the data and the GPS at the same time. The Apple Watch Series 2 has GPS, so you're getting more accurate run information and things of that nature. But right. I I think the the data would obviously help if you were like navigating mm-hmm. or maybe if you were on a trail. Right. My concern would be battery life, though, with LTE running, if you had it on all the time. Yeah. So I think one of the ways they're they're going to get around that is if your phone is present, it will probably be connected via Wi-Fi to your phone and using that LTE radio. Mm-hmm. Because your phone has a bigger battery, so that kind of offsets some of that power cost to right. a bigger device. But then when it gets out of range of your of your phone, then it would connect to cellular. I think I think that would make the most sense. That's how the GPS works in the Series right. 2. Like, it uses your phone GPS if you're nearby, but then it will turn on your GPS radio if you're not near your phone. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have an Apple Watch, so I was going to get one. I might wait and see until I can get some reviews on the LTE version. Yeah, definitely. I honestly don't think that Apple would release the LTE version. I'm sure that's always been in the cards and what they want to do, but I don't think that they would release it unless they had figured out the power constraints. Like they did with AirPods. I mean, That would be a big concern, except that you have the charging case, which is really convenient. Yeah. I think if they can make it convenient to charge it on the go, and have something that you connect to it. Um, maybe it incorporates the band somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be, that'd be all right. Yeah. And they've been, I think they've been working towards the LTE enabled watches for a while, but, and I, I mean, they're not doing anything new, right? You can go get an Android wear watch that has a SIM now, mm-hmm. but the difference between the Apple watch and those watches is those watches are huge. Right. Well, Apple gets a lot of play in our podcast, but there's one topic that we've been wanting to talk about ever since the very beginning, and that's the Nintendo Switch. So we recorded an episode. Yeah, technically we did talk about it. Yeah, so so we've already <laughs> talked about this, but uh, right when we started Detect, we recorded the first Switch episode, and then WWDC happened, mm-hmm. and then E3 happened, and... We were super excited about the AirPods. Yeah. I feel like those were more, uh, I guess, relevant because the the Switch had come out already before or yeah, before we started. So, yeah. So, so far, the podcast has been pretty timely. Yeah. Um, But that's not what we want to do every episode. I think right. that, you know, we want to dig deep on topics sometimes. Yeah. We each grew up with a lot of different technology and video game systems and computers or or whatever. And there's a lot that we can talk about, you know, before 2017, you know? Yeah, totally. And, and one of those things that I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I always wanted to take the super Nintendo and the 64 games on the go. Yeah. Um, I had, I had the first game boy in green actually. Same. Yeah. That's pretty yeah, crazy. Yeah. I did. Um, the green was cool. You didn't see that as often as a gray or a yellow. Yeah, and and, it, and the packaging for the for the green original Game Boy was a clear plastic case, and it was like a box that opened up. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a case for a while, so I just carried 
it around in the box uh, that it came <laughs> in and the po- and the packaging had good enough hinges and stuff that and it had space for a couple games in there yeah so i think that they thought like hey until you get a case you can use this thing yeah that's really random that you had the green <laughs> game yeah. boy yeah man i played that so much yeah mostly i got pokemon i i mostly played super mario world and i got to where i could beat that whole game in like 40 minutes yeah nice nice and i think so the original toy story game I don't think it was on Game Boy at first. I think, but I maybe think maybe Game Boy Advance. I, maybe it was. Game I Boy don't Advance. know that timeline that well. I I think it was on Sega, and then at the same time, it was also on a Game Boy. Um, but I remember playing that one a lot, and it was not in color, so it must. I don't. It was an older Game Boy. I don't know. Yeah, there was one game, and it was a. Uh, it was Donkey Kong Country. Yeah. I think Donkey Kong Country had the best graphics. There was something about the shading. And music. Yeah, it, it was a little bit darker, but there was something about the, the obviously, the use of grayscale mm-hmm. in that game that made it look more 3D, if you could even do that on a, whatever it was, 120 pixel by 120 right. pixel mm-hmm. uh, dot matrix display. I mean. Yeah. Mobile gaming, I think, has always been... The dream. The dream for everybody. But it's, it hasn't been feasible until recently when the Switch came out, I think, for full experience. Yeah. So the Switch has a lot of great stuff going on for it. And I think the biggest advantage is the fact that it transitions so well from the small screen to the big screen and vice versa. It's instantaneous. Yeah. They really nailed down that experience. There's no there's no wait time. Mm-hmm. And that seamless experience, it it almost makes you feel like the entry point for beginning to play a game is so much lower. Mm-hmm. That combined with the extremely fast load times of the cartridges, I mean, yeah, really fast. It's great. Something that I noticed right off the bat when I, even just setting it up, it was so fast and it was super easy, and the interface looked looked more professional, honestly, than the Wii U or the Wii's. Yeah, so I, I've read somewhere on the internet, the Switch's UI is in this sweet spot, right? So it's kind of bare bones. Right. Not everything's built out yet, but it's so clean and it's so easy to use. It's very clear where you go for everything. Mm-hmm. And as platforms get older, they add cruft along the way. Like, you're gaining features, but you're also adding complexity. Right. Yeah, and that reminds me of the... um I saw feedback people were leaving about the new Xbox Fluent Design Home that got released to the Alpha Ring testers that are signed up for that, and it's pretty bad. Yeah, I have no experience with the Xbox UI, but every time I've seen it, it looks like the start menu on it, Windows 8 mm-hmm. that nobody liked, like the tile interface. And Oh, yeah. It's yeah. gotten it's gotten better. I think the one that is is currently using is fine. They just need to make it more user friendly. I think it looks all right, but it's kind of hard to use as as opposed to after using the Switch. The Switch just everything's just there's my games. This is this this is how I get to the store, and the games are the focus. I feel like with Xbox that they're trying to make everything the focus and just yeah instead of just making it a game system yeah i feel like the same thing happens on the playstation 4 the playstation 4's interface is fine 
but there are a lot of ads. So like when you're scrolling mm-hmm. through, there's kind of tiles or icons in that UI as well. But it's always like Guardians of the, Ga- of the Galaxy 2 is now on, uh, you know, the PlayStation Store. And it's just kind of like, I don't, I don't want ads. No. I, I don't ever want to see an ad like in the main uh, part of any yeah. operating X- system. Xbox does the same thing. And that's actually more of a focus in the this first Fluent design. It's got, I think, two big ads that are on your home screen right when you start up. And that's what I, I really like about the Switch is that I don't think they would do that. No, and like the only ads that you really get are news. Mm-hmm. So it's framed as like, hey, let's tell you what's going on on Switch. And it's it, people are genuinely excited in it because there's not a lot of content there. So it's really in this it's in this sweet spot of UI that mm-hmm. only comes along at the birth of a console in the modern times. And in the old times when there was no updates, mm-hmm. and what you bought was what you got. That wasn't an issue, but the changing UIs over time, it yeah, it becomes burdensome on the user. I think that reflects their their strategy with releasing big titles as well, because they start off with Zelda, and then Splatoon two came out, and I mean, there's been other and Arms and Arms came out, but they've all been staggered. And then Mario comes out in October, and mm-hmm. Metroid is supposed to come out in the next couple year or two. Mm-hmm. Same with Pokemon. And Pokemon Tournament comes out this year too, but I think in around the holiday season, I can't remember. But that builds anticipation throughout the whole year. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of people are excited about FIFA as well. Mm-hmm. And I I feel like they're getting a, a lot of buy-in from other developers. And the fact that the sales numbers have just been off the charts for mm-hmm. I mean, after a very disappointing reception to the Wii U, right? I feel like they really came back strong, and they—I feel like they learned lessons from the Wii U. They're like, "Hey, we want to make something with a screen that you can hold in your hand, mm-hmm. but we also want you to be able to connect it to your TV, right?" And it's—it's it's not a natural progression from the Wii U's hardware to. The Switch, it's almost like another company mm-hmm. made the Switch's hard- hardware. It's like Fisher-Price made the Wii U, and then Sony <laughs> yeah. made the Switch. You know, it's like that kind of difference in design right. philosophies. Yeah, it's a lot cleaner looking. The console itself, the operating system, the usability of it is just whenever you want to start a game, you start a game. When you want to quit it, it's it goes back to the home screen. It looks exactly like it did before it no ads yeah when you pause a game on the switch it really feels like you were just like stopping the state exactly where you are and there's no like oh i gotta spin up and get my get everything ready to play this game again it just like comes back on mm-hmm. and that that's a huge advantage yeah of the platform do you find yourself playing it more in handheld more mode or more in uh the tv dock mode uh, it kind of depends on the game, but I find myself picking up handheld mode first. And then after, if I'm playing for a long time, I'll switch off, actually, if I'm just at my at my apartment. So I usually pick it up handheld mode. And then when I get tired of that, I usually will do TV mode. I've done des- the desktop mode a few times, actually. 
Yeah. More for the novelty, but. Yeah, that mode I've used the least, but there have been times when we've taken it out, like me and my son Lyric, and Lyric will set it up and play um, Mario Kart. And he's played with some kids, and we went to a party at one of my friend's house, and he was playing it there with, with some friends. And it's it's one of those features that when I first saw it, I thought, I'm probably never going to use that. but. Mm-hmm. It ends up having some. Uh, it, it it ends up becoming practical. Yeah. So the games that have came out, what's your favorite game? Well, definitely Zelda. Yeah. I mean that's that's a that's an easy number one. I I think I've I've played Mario Kart probably the second most, but same. It's that game. It's not really a new game. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I've played it before. Did you ever play the Wii U version? Yeah, my friend had a Wii U. Yeah, see, it was totally new to me. Um, but, I mean, it's Mario Kart. Like, you really, if you like that game at all, it doesn't really matter what version comes out, you're probably going to have a good right. time. Um, a, a game that I really like that I, actually I th- came out on PlayStation in, a while ago, and then it came out on Xbox recently, was uh, Thumper. I got that on the Switch. So what's what kind of game is that? Uh they describe the they describe it as a rhythm violence game. So it's like fighting with music? Mm, in a way. In a way. Um it's I think Guitar Hero, but also Doom. I guess it's, it's, it's kind of a horror game. It's not, it's kind of, it's not scary, but it makes, it fills you with dread. A rhythm. So is it, uh, but it's music based. Everything's time. Yeah. And it's all about timing and you have to hit a certain combination of, you know, jump or up or left and right to hit the certain points on this long track. And you play as a, a metallic space scarab beetle thing mm-hmm. and there's i don't know what they are but they're kind of attacking they they send pulses at you down the track and you have to time a certain uh controller action oh those, okay with those specific um pulses or there's walls that you have to hit you have to turn I guess away from them and hit them with your side or you'll explode. Man, so it seems like mostly it is a VR game. It's available for Steam VR, PlayStation 4 VR, and Oculus. That's that's interesting. Yeah, I, I think I've seen some gameplay in VR. What I wouldn't think of it as a VR game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking at the looking at the screenshots, it looks like you're kind of a 3D object floating through space. I think it would lend itself well. VR. Yeah. And if you're and and if you were saying it kind of builds anticipation and dread of like what's coming, that's totally yeah. That's made for VR. So where do you think the Switch ranks in the pantheon of Nintendo consoles? Hmm. Well, so what did you come up on? What system did you use the most for Nintendo prior to the Switch? And not the Game Boy. Home console. Home console. Um the Nintendo 64 for sure. Cause even after I got a GameCube, sold the GameCube after a while, which I'm kind of sad about, 
but the Wii came out. I got the Wii. I can play GameCube games, so. But I didn't find that I played the Wii nearly as much as the 64, and I still played Nintendo 64. Um, I do use the Virtual Console some on the Wii, though, which is my definitely the best part about the Wii, because yeah. the Switch doesn't have that yet. Yeah, I was kind of expecting the Virtual Console to be here by the summer. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the Switch came out in March. I thought, give it a few months. I... It I makes think, too much more too much sense for Nintendo to do it. Yeah, exactly. I I think it's too easy for them, so they're like, let's do all the hard stuff, and then we'll come back and circle back to it. And also, I think they want to build off the new experiences that you can have on the Switch and and sell those early. Mm-hmm. Also, they're coming out with the SNES, the classic uh, mini version of it, at some point. I think this year. Yeah. Or next year. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's in the next couple months. So, where does it rank? Do you think that the Switch is the best? Or do you think it's a 64? Are they totally different for you? I think they're totally different. I think I think they're going into new territory here. Yeah. And it's hard to compare the... Co- each console to the switch because the philosophy behind the console itself is different. The switch is a lot. It's all about how you, you play it and you can play it anywhere. And like the N64 was more experiencing graphical, new graphical capabilities. And then the GameCube came out and that was their first disc based system, which was, I think more of a novelty than than anything just because they hadn't done it before. And then you have the Wii which I guess that that's kind of when they started to more, have a focus on how you play the games. Yeah, for me, I think I spent most of my Nintendo playing time on the 64. And when the 64 came out, I mean it's in the name, right? They were emphasizing, "Hey, we're four times as powerful." As yeah. our last console, because I'm pretty sure that the Super Nintendo was 16-bit graphics, right? So they had made that huge jump. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think that that's the last time that you can really say that the most powerful game console you could get was a Nintendo product. Mm-hmm. I think, like you were saying, what Nintendo's focused on since that time is the experience. And... With the exception of the GameCube, I mean, once the Wii came out, I think that they were really focused on, let's have a new input paradigm. Mm-hmm. Let's try something new. Yeah. I think with the Switch, they're bringing those two worlds together. Not only do they have really great games, they also want to focus on the different contexts you can use the device and the different ways in which you can play. And I think that the sacrifices they made for the graphics power empower that flexibility. Mm-hmm.